0: Mississippi Crop Situation Podcast featuring the Crop Doctors. Good morning from the Crop Doctors Podcast Studio in Stoneville. Tom and I have a special guest back with us for the third time this year, Dr. Damon Darcy. It's Damon, good to see you, man. Thanks, guys. Good morning. Damon is a, make sure I say this right, a a rural health physician, and then you're also the advisor, health advisor to the...
1: Highway Patrol? Yep. So I'm the medical director of the Highway Patrol. I'm emergency doc by training and the EMS doctor, which is more of a field guy um, who looks at field medicine and how to improve. I have now moved into more rural sections. I was in academics for a long time and now in in a smaller hospital and having a ball and learning more about this world than I ever thought I would. And it has become a passion to really improve the health of these guys and girls that are operating for pleasure or for recreation or for work. And... Our our very rural communities across the state. Sometimes a change of scenery will really get you you, pumped uh, back up. (laughs) It's awesome. What's neat about this is is a small, um, a small thing like today or a media uh, outpost about something we can do to improve really dramatically hits home for these folks and really is life saving. And it's really it's been interesting to see because you know we can't fix everything in medicine from Jackson or Tupelo or Hattiesburg or Memphis or New Orleans. We got to fix it where we are and. If we can do a couple things to help improve the patient outcomes, then we win, they win, uh, and everybody wins, which is a positive.
0: And correct me if I'm wrong, but if I remember from when we talked this summer, you didn't have to move your family in order to make that move in I did no, no,
1: I didn't. Uh, we still live in the Jackson Metro area, and I'm able to travel, which is the fun part of getting out and seeing that uh, medicine and emergency response is different outside of the capital city. And uh, if we can make some small changes here and there and throughout – Smaller areas, we can make a dramatic, dramatic difference. And this today, our topic is kind of near and dear because we're uh, we're coming into that season where everyone goes to the woods, and how do we help prevent injuries, or if there are some, and there will be, how do we best respond? Because there's so many things that we don't do, or we are myth to doing wrong um, that we will talk about today.
0: The last episode. That Damon did with us, we did on farm safety is what we Mm -hmm. called it. But we did it right on the front end of harvest season. And I think a lot of the topics uh, that we cover today will overlap with those or or the concepts. A a,
2: a pile of things that we don't generally think about, we totally take for granted. And I confess I had
0: forgotten about some of them in the time since we last recorded when we were just kind of jotting down ideas before we hit record this morning. Damon, before we start, living in Mississippi you kind of got to pick barbecue or catfish barbecue barbecue good man
1: there's no question there
0: traveling mississippi best barbecue
1: Mm. well i went to school in texas so the brisket at dickie's is probably my favorite it's a commercial chain but they do a good job they don't do a bad job at all do the pork it's a toss in the jackson area between hickory pit and Chicken Pint. That's my two mixes. What's the place in Yazoo City right there off of? Ubon's. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. yeah. So it's, it's that's good, a good, man.
2: That's a good yeah, choice, it's too. Good. I've but not eaten there, but their sauce is pretty good. Yeah, I agree.
1: How about you? Where's yours?
0: Well, I'll answer, but I was going to ask a, a related question. So one level up, you mentioned Texas. So Texas barbecue versus Memphis barbecue.
1: I'll go brisket in Texas all
0: day
2: long. Oh uh, yeah, I would agree with that.
1: Yeah, brisket. Now listen, <laughs> I, I could I could get sick, and I have gotten sick sitting at the Rendezvous, eating sausage and cheese plates by myself at the bar. <laughs> that place. I mean, I really can get sick doing that, and I've done it multiple times. Uh, I think that's the exception, of Memphis. But but I think Texas brisket done on the slow smoker. I don't think you can beat it. It's really good. It, I don't it, think it's really it. good. I don't, but it. I, I don't. I really don't. I mean, I, I went to college out there. Lived out there for a little while, but I, I don't think you can. Uh, I don't think you can beat it. I'm a lifelong Delta
0: guy, I know. so I err towards Memphis I know. style I barbecue, know. I probably turn my, some people
1: off. But you know, I just um, I, that Texas brisket, except for the sausage and cheese plate. Now uh, that and so I, get
0: you. I will answer,
1: Neely's. Yeah, is my favorite. There you go.
0: Uh, that, that's there you my go. favorite. And the, of the different locations, they are really consistent in their quality from their different locations. So I'm a Neely's man. I
1: like
2: it. I like <laughs> it. I just like to eat it, period. It doesn't matter where I'm yeah, at. That's my thing. I, I, there's a few places I tend to gravitate towards. They're all pretty decent. And I'd, the problem is
1: I can sit there and continue. I mean, that's one of my addictions is food. And I'll just, I'll gorge myself at places like that. And uh, yeah, it's not very good for your health, but <laughs> moderation, right? Moderation. Says <laughs> so, so the doctor.
2: Yeah. I just like to say it shaves off diaper years at the end. <laughs> it's it's, well, you it's know, fine. So <laughs> just fine.
0: It's just, just shaves <laughs> something off dumb. the end.
2: Probably, probably no truth to that.
0: Damon, we're coming in November. You know, we're in archery season, so we've got a lot of guys in the woods doing various different things, and then other guys preparing for the upcoming rifle season. We were talking about when we wanted to release this, and I think we will release this the week leading up to rifle season right. in Mississippi. Right. What are some things that you have seen in the past kind of – Consistent problems that you see related to hunter safety this time of year?
1: The biggest thing is, you know, opening weekend of gun season, invariably there is uh, emergency rooms across the state packed with people in camouflage. Invariably, those are deer stands that have been up all year, some homemade, some commercial, that uh, they get up in the first uh, weekend and somehow, somewhere, something goes awry and they fall. And historically, those are lower extremity injuries because they don't have a harness on. They fall to the ground and hurt something. But we occasionally will have two or three across the state that first weekend where the harnesses jack up and they're not done right or they flip over and they're hanging upside down with the harness attached. And uh, that's the first uh, salvo to what is a, a fairly long season for most of us in emergency medicine because we continue to get these guys and girls that are in really nice uh, clubs or camps or in one of our national forests, and they go and they have to stand there for so long. They haven't told anybody where it is because is a special spot. And uh, when they fall, the phone hits the ground. There's no way to grab it, and people then don't know where they are. And so this begins at about 530 or 6, doesn't come back to check out. We begin to start looking for this said person, and then invariably we find them when we get close because we hear them screaming or they'll put off three rounds in the air. And the biggest thing that we look at now is how to, in this first couple of weeks leading up to gun season, and for the bow hunters out there, you've probably already done this, is check your stuff. Make sure this is there I get there's some secret places, but but have some place somewhere that's listed where that is, a GPS coordinate, uh, either at your truck or at your house. Maybe your spouse holds on to where you're going to hunt with the GPS coordinates. And so somewhere, somehow, someone knows where you are. Cell phone service in the States, great in populated areas. It's not so great in the unpopulated areas. And remember, when you have a, a cell phone, you have so many points of a tower that can be active. And so when you fall and everyone starts coming looking for you, your cell phone signals to go down a little bit. And so the biggest thing is know where you're going and then make sure that someone outside of your hunting party knows where you are and what's the time they begin to trigger, oh, damn, something's happened. That's the biggest thing. Now, if you're in areas you have cell phone service, mark your spot drop a pen that's better than nothing GPS coordinates are better than anything else because we can all plug those in remember not everyone has an iPhone some have Android, some have Flip but to give a GPS coordinate we can always type those in so the first thing is preparation make sure you've got it there make sure that your harness is working those do expire, make sure they're they're not an expired harness and then make sure you've got a pretty good plan of where you're going to hunt where you're going to hunt, who you're going to hunt with and what happens if you don't come home at a certain time How do you advise someone that hunts in an area with poor cell
0: phone reception?
1: That's most of our national park. I mean, national forest, honestly. The biggest thing is when you park at the uh, trailhead or at your camp on on your car, uh, on your dash, hey, I went in at this walking angle, walking degrees. I went in at 35 degrees, and I'm going to go for three or four miles, and I've got a deer stand, and it's right by a big lake, and da-da-da. And then that way, when we pull up and we know that you're there, we can know at least the direction of travel. Uh, Also, um, it is very helpful if you leave something that you wore on your truck for our tracking dogs. So, again, a beanie cap, something on the outside of your truck that we can give the dogs to have your scent to to be able to go in. And third, again, if it's a marked location, tell us where you are. If you have a sign-in, sign-out system, hey, I'm going to field number four, field number six. A lot of our national uh, wildlife refuges and national forests up here, that's not an option. So do those things on your truck to say, hey, this is where I am. This is who I am. This is what I'm hunting in, et cetera. That's the biggest thing. The second thing we see a, a fair amount of every year is uh, not wearing orange and guys that are a little trigger happy and start firing off at things that are moving. That's easy to do. Wear orange. It's, uh, it matters. It can really save you from getting a, a high-velocity rifle, uh, which is never a good outcome.
2: Do you recommend any specific apps? to get GPS coordinates or anything for anybody on their phone or just pretty much anything they can download off the app in, store. And download,
1: And most of the dispatch centers can convert the degrees, minutes, seconds to the other one. Um, decimal
2: degrees? Thank you, yeah. Do you prefer decimal degrees or does it a Degrees,
1: minutes, seconds is what most people in our public safety world use the most. Okay. But, it, but it's still, I mean, again, most people can convert that pretty easily.
2: And that's important to know because I think a lot of people don't know there are several different systems. I mean, there we'll are. We won't even go into that and very few people use like the UTM coordinate system which exactly. is a little bit confusing and conversion of that and remember that
1: when you're calling so our game wardens are exceptional at gps they, they do this all the time in fact we've got one of the best search and rescue teams in the country from our game warden group they're unbelievable um, at doing this and we'll talk about them later but the biggest thing is when you call 911 their biggest thing is cross streets so you're on highway 12 and what Because they're not going to know a GPS coordinate as well as get someone en route to Highway 12 and Yandel Road. They know that very well versus here I am at GPS coordinates. Or I'm at the National Forest and I'm at blank trailhead. Come in at 50 degrees and about three and a half miles, you'll see me. That gets us a lot closer than a GPS coordinate off the bottom. Once once the guys get there, they'll be able to see that pretty quick and, and learn from it. And again these you know these SOS things that you can buy as hunters those are great satellite systems they're you know not expensive you hit the button and they send the satellite up and sends a pretty good position those are really inexpensive especially if you're going to places that don't have cell phone service Now you have to see a satellite so you may have to get outside the tree cover to get there but those are really inexpensive and can be life-saving They're mostly for marine operations but again a lot of people use them for austere or rural or wilderness environments and they work great they just send a text out Tells you where you are, gives them all your na- you sign up for it, name and numbers, et cetera. Well,
2: how does your phone act then? Because it does have an SOS signal and I know, mean, I that's kind of a silly question. I I've never know. used that. I've seen that on there. And I also know, you know, just through happenstance, if you happen to dial 911, depending on where you are. If you're on a main thoroughfare, they know where you are. But if you're in the middle of nowhere, I don't.
1: Yeah. So the nine one one is called enhanced, and this triangulation of three towers to figure out where you are from a nine one one standpoint. I don't know how the S O S works. Honestly, um, I I'm I'm a little skeptical. When I go um, in austere rural, I carry a, a GPS, a real one that can hit a button and it sends to the world and. It gives my location from a satellite perspective. I don't know because, you know, cell phones is, you know, if you're over on the river, either Tom Bigby or the Mississippi, and you dial 911, your call is going to go to the closest cell tower, which could be in a different state. And so when you call 911 and you're on the verge of either a county, which is not nearly as big a deal or on another state, make sure and tell them where you are. I'm, no, 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 I'm in Bolivar County. I'm not in Arkansas or I'm in, um, Knoxville County. I'm not in Fayette County, Alabama. And they will transfer that call in. But remember, that's how that that works is if I call I pick up the nearest strongest tower, which may be across the river or across the county line. And sometimes that's a challenge. Even in big cities, you know, I'll call 911 and I live in Ridgeland and I will get at Madison County 911. No, 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 I, don't, you know, I need Ridgeland. They'll transfer me over. So that can save a couple of seconds, but just know that's part of the challenge. In rural America, it's even more of a challenge. Just to know where you are, what county, what what major, major thoroughfare there is, and then. GPS coordinates are great, obviously.
0: Related to the remoteness, what do you suggest or are there things you suggest someone carries with them in addition to,
1: yeah, so you know, an SOS? A couple of things. One, a lot of our guys, and we live in Mississippi, right? A lot of our guys have health issues, um, guys and girls, and that's that's not uncommon. One of the things that's going to be important early on is a medical provider to know if you're on certain drugs or uh, certain conditions. So, you take your license out and and the the white area under the um, barcode at the bottom, write down what you're on, especially if you're on anticoagulants, you're on blood thinners. That's huge for us to know what you're on. Other things is, you know, when you go hunting, uh, make your Ziploc bag with your hunting license, you know, emergency contacts, but just just the simple stuff out there. Who's emergency contact? What medicines are you on? Specifically blood thinners. Um, Have you had a heart attack before? You know, those things that are there can go in a Ziploc bag, throw them in your hunting kit, throw them in your vest, throw them in your orange vest. Let us know. We typically look at pockets, so chest pockets or um, rear pockets of your pants. That's where we're going to go first looking for stuff, but have it in there. That's vital for us to know who you are and what's happening. The second is every camp should have some kind of, or every hunting expedition or every hunting group should have some kind of first aid kit that looks at three big things. The one we see the most often is to be able to stop bleeding. Uh, and that's not always a tourniquet, but sometimes is the ability to get out and be seen. So some kind of flasher or some kind of noise maker or something to, to be seen by air ground. And the third is just general first aid stuff to be able to get yourself to where you need to go. Now I'm not talking about a hundred dollar kit. I'm talking about, you can get one 20, $25, but the biggest thing is habit there. And then, know how to get folks to you. And I think that's the biggest thing. On the way up here, I drove by probably four or five hunting camps. It was a really cool sign out there. It said, you know, Tom Jones Duck World or whatever it was. And there was no address. And so I'm driving by and I'm not, as an ambulance guy, I'm not going to get Tom World's Tom Ward's Duck World as an address. I'm going to get 1354 Highway 465. Well, those don't correlate. So while you're making these really cool, neat signs, put your address at the bottom of them so we can know where you are. And more more importantly, the address three inches high, three inches tall, and can be reflective. So when we're coming down and the blinking lights, they'll fire right off that and we can see it really easily. That's going to save 10 plus minutes in the rural response. That's big. That's a lot of time. The the folks in this part of the world are so used to common names. Hey, Joe's Barn, Tom's Silo, This Road, that it is a challenge for, for us to figure out where you are oftentimes. So even if you have a locked gate, you know, on the gate, you know, have a, a tag that says, hey, an emergency call, this number, uh, this is the guy that takes care of it. If you have a lot of people that you come into your deer camp or your duck camp, you know, if it's greater than 20 some odd people and there's some older folks, talk to the local responders. Hey, this is where we are. Come eat breakfast with us one day. This is how to get here. This is what we're talking about. If you're on one of the river hunting camps and need a barge to get there, let's talk about that early. One of the islands down south of Natchez has done a yeoman's job of preparing for emergencies and we have uh, used to have two or three a year over there people fall and they've they've got. you have to access from Louisiana on a barge how do you improve that yeah who's the barge what can they take how can we land over there who can we get over there what what resources do you have on the island those kind of things because a lot of our you know really expensive hunting camps are beautiful and they're just planning on nothing happening and so we get over there and there may be Fifteen medical providers, but there's no gear. That causes a challenge. And every year we'll have uh, preventable fatalities that we that could have been prevented if we would have done some of this stuff.
2: What about offering any trainings for those types of people? I mean, yeah. if it's a higher end hunting camp and there are a lot of people involved 100%. in that, can they have you come out and walk through some of yeah. those things with them? Because that's pretty important. There's a
1: bunch of people that were happy to do it, and there's some that do it um, across the state. But absolutely, I mean, game and fish. Us from, from the Department of Public Safety, we, we can come up with plans and we do it all the time. There's two counties, Warren County being specific, Sheriff Martin Pace has done a yeoman's job of working with those camps down there and trying to figure out how do we get folks off and on. But again, remember, in you know, a hunting season, the, the clouds are low, the fog has set in, there is no helicopter coming, and we got to pack you out. And how do you do that? You know, do you have an ATV that can put somebody on it? Great. We'll bring all the stuff. We just need some help. And the biggest thing you can do is flag us down. Come to a major road. Highway 12 and Yandel Road will meet you there and follow you in. A lot of the sheriff's deputies, that's why they always go first, because they know where everything is. They know who everybody is. And so we can follow those blue lights really easily.
2: Give us brief summary bullet points of what we've already covered. I mean, most important highlights. Number one know
1: where you're hunting let someone else not hunting with you know where you're hunting Um, that is either address or uh, direction of travel Uh, if you're hunting in a national forest put something on your car where you are who you are and some kind of uh, something with your scent on the outside of the car so our dogs can pick it up three check your equipment make sure your harnesses are good your deer your deer stands are good if you use it in a climbing stand use a harness make sure it's working it's solid And then from a response, have us address, let us know where we're going Uh, on the road. um, There's a lot of awesome hunt camps that are, are, that seem to be top secret, which is great, but put up, put an address out there. You don't have to put your name. And then uh, when you call number one, make sure you're talking to the right group, your right County that you're in, the right state that you're in. And then as we go on in this, how do we pack a kit that we can have bleeding control and signaling devices and basic medical gear to get you out of the scenario you're in. Um, One of the biggest things we're seeing right now is throw in the back of the truck and drive real fast. That's kind of a a misconception around here is something happens, just go real fast. And there's very few things in emergency medicine that are that time sensitive. Uh, I would much rather go and do a very proper medical treatment there uh, then throw in the car and go. Yesterday I had a great example. A girl flipped her car. Dad threw in the back of a car and just starts flying down the road. Well, that complicates a lot of things. The first is we don't know where you are or where you're going. But B, now you've put one injured person in the car and now doing 100 miles an hour down the road. That doesn't really make sense either. So those are the big things from, from the hunting world is how do we enjoy this rural, austral environment we live in, but how do we do it safely and how do we prepare for what is going to happen at some point? You mentioned the sheriff's deputies knowing
0: the ins and outs of their county or their part of their county. But then we have wildlife officers, too, and I, and I know you wanted to make some points related to those guys. Yeah, so a couple of
1: things. One, I can't emphasize the importance of hunter safety for our little ones. My um, Both my boys, uh, 12 and 14, just went through that class last year. It was exceptional, Well, really well done uh, down in the central region. Number two, I don't think people realize that while these guys are able to enforce or do enforce the laws of wildlife, they are exceptional in their ability to track and find people in the woods or on the water. I don't think people realize how good they are. When the tragedy happened with the C one hundred and thirty up in um, up in the Delta, those guys came in and showed the nation, Department of Defense, how well they can search for things and people. Uh, And did an unbelievable job. They have drones and heat sinking or infrared. They've got this awesome trailer. My point to say is they are a huge asset. And back in my time as a paramedic on the streets, I would always say that the game wardens are the most resourceful group I want by my side because, A, they have everything and B, they know the land, and C, they can get in and find people. And invariably, if we have someone lost in the woods, these are the guys that find it. they got a special team called SRT, Special Response Team, uh, led by a great guy to Jackson, and they do yeoman's work. They're in every district, and uh, I talked to one last night. They, they are exceptional. Do not be afraid, if you have a lost hunter or a lost person, to call them early, it's not a punitive thing, but they can get there, and they have a software program that is amazing, and it, and it predicts route of travel based on terrain and other things. And they have a huge success rate of finding people early, especially when it gets cold. These guys are really, really good. And so pick up the phone, call the local game warden, get them to come out. They do a really good job. And I think they're underutilized for what they do. They are um, extremely impressive in lost hunters. Or if you have to extricate somebody out of wherever.
0: In the case of trauma, mm-hmm.
1: would their response time be quicker than a, a 911 call? No, I, 911's first. And historically, the, you know, there's an 800 number for the game wardens. So I would call both, and I would put that on your hunting plan is to call both. Now, remember, if it's a hunting accident, the game official is going to investigate it, so they'll get the call eventually. But I want them more... I, if I was hunting, I want them investigating true, but I want them boots on the ground. Because remember, they're going to have the four-wheelers. They're going to have the knowledge. They're going to know who it is, where it is, uh, especially in our national forest and our national wildlife refuges or our state wildlife refuge. They know the terrain, and they can get in, and they know where people go. But they're not going that way because there's a bottom that way. They're going this way. You know, that's the knowledge that they have that's invaluable in these kinds of situations.
2: Is it all a 1-800 number to get to game wardens, even in this state? or yeah, it's 1-800, one- I can't remember what it is, but okay. yeah, it's 1, yeah. I would just figure somebody who was a big hunter would just know who the game warden was. Most of
1: them do. I, I mean, that I mean, yeah, most most them not shock name. me one bit. No, no, mo- most of the ones that have been doing it for so long, everyone knows who they are. And the bigger camps, they know them almost by name because they come a fair amount. But. Right. You know, invite them to come have lunch, invite them to come to your, you know, Saturday morning breakfast Env- engage them because that's only going to benefit you in the long run when the, when you have something happen and they can, you know, they can find you and get you out.
2: Damon, what types of things should someone be prepared to answer if they have to make one of those calls to 911? Yep. So every number one center is a little different. Some of it's as simple as, hey, who are
1: you? And where are you? Um, That's pretty self-explanatory. Some of them are going to ask a little bit more questions. And that's called Enhanced 911 or that's called Emergency Medical Dispatching. And the reason why they do that is they want to know questions like, um, is the patient breathing? Yes, no. Do they have a heartbeat? Yes, no. How far did they fall? That's a big one because I can predict injury based on the level of fall. So anything greater than the ground level fall, I'm standing up and I fall down, has a certain mortality or death rate associated with it. Number two, are they able to raise their arms and legs? That helps tell me, A, their brain is functioning, but also their bones, big bones in the arm and leg are not broken. The biggest thing in, in these environments is can they walk? Because if they cannot walk, that means I'm going to have, to have at least six people to carry them out. Uh, so they're going to ask that question. Uh, can they walk or not? Yes, no. What's the nearest? We've talked about this before. The nearest cross-street or location. Uh, any medical problems that, 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 that you're aware of. Their basic weight. It doesn't matter. if it's, you know Basically, are they less than 350 pounds or are they more? Right. That's a helicopter question. Uh, their age, basically, are they less than 12 or are they greater than 65? That, those are the big ones we look for. And then when did this all start? If it was a stroke symptom, when was the last time you saw them well? They're going to ask that question. Not when it started, but when were they well? Were they eating at breakfast normally? Yep. What time was that? Five. What time is it now? 10, that changes how we treat that for a stroke. And then I had a family friend that that had a cardiac issue on one of the big islands. And the question there was, has he ever had this before? No. Okay, this is new. So we have a new scenario here of a patient's had this versus someone that's had five heart attacks and six surgeries. That changes the ballgame a little bit. But those are the big things that they'll ask. And every Every 911 will have a different scope of questions, but every question they're answering is helping narrow down what we can do when we get there. You know, if it's fall from 20 feet and they're not able to move, well, that's six people plus a helicopter, and we probably have to go to this hospital or this hospital because of a a probable injury. So that's why the 911 starts and asks those questions. And it's annoying at times. It seems like it takes forever. The average questioning takes less than two and a half minutes, but it seems like it goes on forever. But remember, while they're asking the questions... The ambulance and the responders are, are in route. This is just helping us prepare for it as they get there.
2: Well, and I'd like to think they, that helps calm somebody down too if they're absolutely at the freak out stage because yep. sometimes that happens.
1: Yeah. And listen, they can tell you a lot of times what to do and what not to do. You know, hey, you know, put pressure on that. Don't move them. If they have a head injury, please leave them still. Those kind of things that can help you go through the process. And again, that depends on where you are and, and who answers the phone and what, what county they're in. But for the most part, these guys and girls do a great job. Dispatchers are the un- unsung heroes. They they answer a lot of calls and do a lot of great things on the, on, the, on the phone that we don't have to do when we get there. Damon, the last question I've got,
0: we have guys that do everything from drive a side-by-side, mm-hmm. step off the side-by-side into a ground blind or a low yep. box stand to, or in my opinion, pretty wild stuff, even in our state, let alone guys traveling to other states. With your medical history or your medical training, what's the level of when you're having a conversation with somebody and you say, man, (laughs) you know what, maybe that's not a good idea.
1: You know, I think the the funny one is um, we would get texts and calls about these these hog hunts where people are uh, using dogs and knives, which sounds like a blast. But I can just, in my mind, you know, I see these things, and so hogs running around with dogs and with large knives just doesn't seem like a a good idea for me. I'm sure it's a blast, but those are the things that give me chest pain when I hear these, these type actions. The other things are our younger population, our teen population, that truly thinks they're invincible. Those are the sad stories that we have of guys that, you know, are up in a deer stand and then try to transition over and fall and are paraplegic. Those are the ones we have one or two every year that are just devastating. And the message to those guys is, you know, have a great time, but you're not invincible. Great uh, scenario. We had a a 30-year-old my week ago, side by side. Uh, The doors that are on those things that are always annoying to all of us, right, that we none of us like. They're there to keep your feet in. So when it rolls over, your feet stay in. And he took it off, and it rolled, and he lost his foot simply because he took the door off. If the door had been on, he would have kept his foot. And it's annoying, and I don't like him either. But, again, the biggest thing is how can you use the protection that's there, stay inside the cage, you're going to be fine, versus this door is annoying to me, and we to take it off, and then he rolls, his foot goes out, it gets crushed on the way over. And so those are the things that keep me up at night of how we can prevent some of this stuff. Because a lot of it we get is totally preventable you know alcohol drug use and that's you know we all go to the deer camp and have a good beverage or two just understanding that that's going to change your your ability to react and respond and that's invariably some of the issues we have is the intoxication when they're you know getting down or getting back on the four-wheeler going too fast etc.
2: Damon thanks so much. You're welcome guys. <clears throat> I mean I honestly think that's one of those topics that we don't spend enough time talking about and people clearly probably need to put more effort into thinking about
0: like I said, when we started, a lot of that carries over from the episode we did earlier. Mm-hmm. And the so, more often you talk about it, the the more people you reach exactly. about it.
1: And I think the biggest thing is it, over this next calendar year, I'm going to start keeping um, stories and then blind them and then come back and talk about them. Because I think that would be, that would give people the, um, this could happen.
0: Man, we certainly appreciate it. That's good. Thank you. Thank, thank you for coming. Absolutely.